Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. And it's official. We have the youngest man ever to join us on a podcast, Andrew Chan. Tim, what do you think about that? We've got a dude who just turned 21. It's, it's hard to believe that we would be pulling on a college student onto a podcast to talk about oil and gas stuff. It just, it blows my mind that, you know, why, why, why would we, why would we reach out to a college kid to bring him on the show? What, what, you know, anyway, it's just a fascinating when you, when, and I think everyone who's listening will understand why when we're, when we get through this, but it's, it's a, it's a great story. I mean, he just straight up schooled all of us on what, quarters are for college and what venture capitalism is. So I think he'll probably be fairly educational for our listeners as well. Yeah, he's, he's going to do just fine. So Andrew, in your 21 young years, why don't you give us a brief, synop- brief synopsis of how you got to where you are today as a senior at Caltech? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a bit of a wild story. So born, raised Denver, Colorado, uh, went to Littleton High School out here. Um, Sort of ended up at Caltech specifically to study geophysics. So I've been a dinosaur kid my entire life. Uh, actually thought yeah. I was going to go into geobiology for a bit. Um, quickly decided that there might not be the uh, right career path in geobiology for me. Um, switched <laughs> to geophysics right when I got to Caltech. And uh, went to Caltech specifically because of the geosciences, though. It's uh, objectively and subjectively the best program in the world. And yeah. Nice. But now well, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile that you're also getting an, a, a BS in English as well. Yeah. So that's a really funny thing about Caltech. Um, so we have a really large humanities requirement, which for a science school is like really odd. Um, and what happens is to get an English major, you have to take nine English classes and write a thesis. And to complete the humanities requirement at Caltech, you have to take nine humanities classes. Uh, so all I have to do is write a thesis. And I finished that up last term. Nice. Nice. I mean, man, it was funny, Tim, before you came on, Andrew's like, yeah, I just finished up all my midterms this week. I'm like, that is not an expression that I've used in quite a long time, (laughs) finishing up my midterms. But so are you exhausted right now? Like, did you get any sleep this week? Yeah. I mean, between the election and midterms, I'll say I haven't slept a whole lot, but uh, I, you know, got a solid four hours last night um, rolling on the podcast today down to Red Bull beforehand. Uh, we're making it work. Uh, to, to be 21 again. Uh, if it was four hours for me, I'd be a very bitter man on this podcast. But, you know, that's the beauty of, uh, of youth, let me tell you. And, Andrew, you know, I've, one of the things that I've noticed in our interactions, I'll just go back to the, the, the beginning and, and how you and I met, was actually through Colin McClellan. I think you'd done a little bit of research on the industry and said, hey, I want to start building relationships, get to know some people in the space. Who should I meet in Denver? Then obviously, you know, yeah. me. Dr. Funkenstein. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> well, so, so Colin said, hey, meet up with Jeremy. So, he, you know, here we go. We, we've got to do it. And he's like, hey, we should meet up sometime, get coffee or something. I'm like, no, nah, let's, let's get a beer. He said, well, actually, I'm, I'm 20. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm not so sure about, about a beer, but anyways, we may or may not have had a beer on my back porch. Um, cannot confirm uh, nor can, deny that. No, we, we can't, we can't do that. But I found it f- very fascinating because immediately you provided me some information about the venture capital space and what you've done, uh, I guess, as an intern 
at Riot Ventures out in California. So can you give the audience a little bit of an idea of how you got into the VC world, what you'd done at Riot, and what your career path might be if you pursue uh, venture capitalism? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a really funny story, actually, because the, the main gist of how I got into VC is I was sitting in cooking class one night. Uh, my best friend comes up to me. He's like, Andrew, there's this job on Handshake you should apply for. They're interviewing everyone. And didn't you say you need like interview practice? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh, and I, I thought I was going into upstream pretty much my entire college career. And so taking the VC interview was like almost completely just for practice. And uh, seven months later, here we are. But I came on as a fellow with Riot during their summer program, um, sort of specifically looking at the oil and gas industry and the mining industry and the modernization of technology. And I mean, I know like DTI is like a big uh, bad term for a lot of people out here, but it's looking at a lot of digital tech, a lot of just how can we make the energy, the energy industry as a whole just more efficient. Yep. Um, and so I'm looking at career-wise, hoping to sort of graduate out in uh, June or maybe as soon as March, um, find a job with a VC firm, kind of staying in the same space. I love the energy space. Um, I've gotten some good advice from guys out here in Denver and energy investors in general that to be a proper oil and gas investor, you really need to spend some time out in the oil field. And so that's something I'm looking at for a couple of years down the line, maybe. But uh, it's, it's hard to get a job right now, as I've experienced firsthand. Uh, well, you still have two more quarters to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm on the job hunt right now, though. So VC starts recruiting pretty early. And um, so doing these interviews, uh, sort of sending out applications, doing due diligence for firms and things like that to sort of prove my worth. And it's a crazy experience. So I'm curious, a uh, young man at, in California of all places going into geophysics, which is typically means pre-oil and gas, near as I can tell, what is the feeling like, pre-COVID anyway, what's the pressure you feel at a place like Caltech in California for you know, going into the industry, going into the oil and gas industry, what, there's got to be a lot of anti or do people recoil when you talk about it or what? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I get a lot of sort of uh, just like people making fun of me, um, criticizing me for like, you know, going to Caltech and still sort of selling out, I guess is what they call it. Uh, and, and it's, it's an interesting thing too. Like I, I consider myself a fairly liberal guy and like I live in California but like, if you're being realistic, like oil and gas is not going anywhere in the next 50 years. Like we use so many plastics alone that like industry is not going anywhere. We need it as a species. And I think a lot of people aren't really realistic about that and sort of the amount of time it will take to sort of transition away from that. And that's how I rationalize that to myself. Yeah, I've got a new rationalization I'm using, and that is the, the average car lives for about 15 years. So even if you were to immediately stop all gasoline powered cars, you still have a minimum of 15 years uh, before that transitions. And right now we've got what, you know, 98% of cars are all still gasoline powered. So it's going to take just that long, just on the transportation side. Yeah. Exactly. I've yet to see anybody propose commercial airlines that fly on solar yet. Oh, and I mean, you're even further from that with plastics too. Like what is it? 30% of oil products go into plastics or something like that. And it's just, you're never going to get rid of that in the near future. I mean, you know, Gavin Newsom, though, is very bullish on electric vehicles, whether he knows what that means or not. By 2035, <laughs> California has quite a, quite a mandate. So I want to talk about one thing that has been 
something that that really almost gave me some some heartburn early on in COVID, which was I would be so frustrated if I was in college and they told me there's this virus going around and now you can't be at college. In fact, even worse, you have to go home and hang out with your parents. What was the the general sentiment at Caltech with people, the, the disappointment, and, and how have you been able to just say, well, I guess this is just what we have to do, uh, despite this being, you know, having quite an impact on your formative college years? Yeah, I, I think what that really comes down to for us is that Caltech, we're a school of scientists, right? And we all were forced to take biology freshman year. Uh, we're, we take pretty advanced chemistry through intro organic. And we all sort of understand the implications of what a pandemic means. And so when they sent us home in March, I don't think anybody was really surprised. And I have to be wholly honest, this is going to sound bad, but the quality of teaching actually got better online um, because professors had to rewrite sort of 40-year-old materials in some cases. And, you know, because of that, it's made this fall term at home a lot less hard. I definitely have to say the social aspect has been really tough. Um, you miss hanging out with your friends, doing work together. And it's hard to find that motivation at home too. But like after a while, like I, I think for us, the fact that we didn't come back at all in fall term was a lot better than these schools that are going back and then just shutting down after a yeah. couple of weeks. Well, so my personal experience, I have a daughter in school. She's a sophomore at one of these major universities. And I will tell you different from you, her experience is the teaching, the actual teaching part got worse for that first semester. Now, this semester, everything's gotten quite a bit better. Everyone's got, you know, going home in March, they're not on quarters. So it wasn't like you're starting a new quarter. They actually got cut off mid-semester and went through. So they had a semester that was half in person, half, you know, off. And they there was a, a definite drop off in the quality of teaching and some of the grades showed it. Um, Did they so not they, do pass fail there? <laughs> like all of our classes uh, last spring were on pass fail. So you just got no, passed or no pass. That did not happen that way. No, no. It was still four grade. You could have opted to take pass fail and they did relax the dropping periods, but still at the same time, you know, my daughter hung on to her chemistry class until the very last moment. And finally, you know, the, the, the grades had dropped so precipitously for the entire class, 85% of the class dropped right before the final. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think, I think the big difference for us is because of the quarter system. Yeah. We finished up the quarter right before spring break. And then they actually took an extra week off at the beginning of the next quarter. And so our teachers had sort of two and a half, three weeks to redesign their entire coursework. And it worked out pretty well uh, for them. Now you turned 21 during the middle of this COVID thing. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just knocked over. That's yeah, the biggest, to me, that's the biggest disappointment of the whole thing is you're not with your college buddies for yeah. that. That That's a serious fun week right there. Right. Yeah. It, it really would have been, I don't know. I, I mean, I love my parents, obviously I was able to spend some time with them uh, in, in being sort of, you know, the, the sort of good boy uh, aesthetic, but I also got to go out with, I have a couple of friends back here who I actually fence with and uh, was able to go out with a couple of those guys, small group, uh, socially distanced on my birthday. And that made it feel a little bit better than uh, just staying at home inside and drinking over Zoom. 
Now, are you saying socially distanced just to be politically correct? Were you really socially distanced? <laughs> um, for most of the evening, I'd, I'd say we were, we were at a we were at a good distance. Um, yeah, but I like since we also do part. sports together, uh, yeah. because we're doing sports together, it's not necessarily we're kind of in each other's paws if we don't go out beyond that. Uh, so fencing, yeah, perfect segue because you know I went to Brandeis, which is known for I don't know a few things. First and foremost, it's a very serious liberal arts Jewish school. It's Division <laughs> three for all of its sports, except for fencing. It tends to send people in fencing to the Olympics like every eight or 12 years. Did you ever compete against Brandeis in fencing? Yeah, actually, funny enough, I did. And, and Brandeis is, I believe, the only school out of all of the NCAA programs I have an undefeated record against. There you go. Oh, there you <laughs> go. And it's don't. not in the weapon I fence normally either. <laughs> Listen, don't don't hurt your arm patting yourself on the back over there. Yeah, that's that's okay. No, but seriously, it was I, I remember watching some of those practices, and of course it's it's fencing, right? So you're like, oh, whatever, I could do it. And then I saw some of these guys doing it. I'm like, no, I would definitely lose very, very quickly. <laughs> now I, I watch that fencing on on TV and they're doing their thing and and They'll lunge at each other, and then you see one of them, you know, spike the fence, spike the foil because he's gotten hit or something like that. <laughs> I never saw anything. I that's so they bad. have to slow it down so far for me to even know that someone got hit. I don't know. I don't yeah. know how you do that. It, the, how quick you have to be is crazy. It's uh, years of practice. I mean, I've been doing it for ten years now, and I still wouldn't say I'm a uh, that great. Um, and it's just you have to think really quickly too, and so it's a lot like mental chess in some ways. And you just have to move so fast uh, with the mental side that it's just really tough. Yeah, the speed is is crazy. So did you get a scholarship in fencing or something? Does, is that a thing? Can you get scholarships in fencing? So Caltech doesn't offer uh, any sort of merit-based or athletic scholarships. Um, wow. There are schools that do offer scholarships for fencing. Uh, like, I'm trying to think of what a great example of this would be. Um, MIT? Like Ohio State, no MIT wouldn't. Ohio State <laughs> does. Uh, uh, the Caltech, probably, know, yeah. I think they would probably just give a fat grant. I mean, they don't really give sports scholarships, so I'd be surprised. Yeah, and, and so it's kind of a weird dynamic across the NCAA because the teams that have the money for scholarships obviously get a lot better. Yeah. Did you get to travel with fencing? Like, would you go on fencing matches in, you know, Chicago or they're in Dallas, Texas or other various spots outside of California? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was growing up, I traveled to the national tournaments. And so you do like junior Olympics in Baltimore and uh, national tournaments in like Detroit and places like that. Uh, once you hit college, you get to go to a couple places. Uh, I think Northwestern was the big one we went to every year. Nice. And then we'd go up to San Francisco once a year, fence Stanford. Now, on our podcast, not too long ago, we had the number two nationally ranked squash player <laughs> in, in, in the country oh, on in the, the US, podcast. In the U.S., right? That's right. Did, did you ever get nationally ranked as a fencer or foiler or whatever you call no, it? No, no, I'm, I'm not even close to being good enough to be nationally ranked in the U.S. Uh, <laughs> so. Jeremy, why did we bring this guy on? <laughs> what is he even good at? No, seriously. I think one of the things that you are extremely good at is, is the venture capital space. So this is a good um, follow-up from David Forsberg, whose podcast was just released the other day. And I, I listened to it and thought it was awesome because he dropped some knowledge that I didn't have. As you branch out into the VC world, Andrew, if you're looking at energy tech, 
what are some of the things that you like that may be disruptive? And, you know, maybe it's things that we've thought of, maybe it's not, but what are some things that come to the top of your mind as you go out and look for, or will look for potential companies and things to invest in? Yeah. So I'll say in oil and gas, and I think this is a pretty common theme across all the guys doing VC in this space. Um, we're really hip into the software solutions and the software optimization. The hardware has a really tough road to adoption from a VC Agreed. side. And um, so we're looking out for like the innovative, the ML solutions, um, things processing data in innovative ways. I'm really big into IoT. Um, so just sort of sensor tech and improving things through sensors. One big trend that we've identified with Riot uh, just in mining and oil and gas is that it's really hard to sell like consulting style analytics data though. And so whatever you're producing kind of needs to be making a profit to sell to the right people that they'll actually push your tech through. Uh, and that solves your adoption issues there. Um, but that's our big trend. Huh. Wow, that's that's good stuff. I think a good brief description of IoT right there was meaningful. It aligns with things that I see as well. Sensor data, in particular for oil and gas out in the field, where connectivity issues have been a trend, is definitely a big one, right? But it's also for you to vet out who these right companies are, whether that's due to revenue, due to people. I think a variety of different factors come into play. Yeah. So do you have some VCs in mind for you? Is it like you want to join a larger firm or do you want to find something a little bit smaller like where you had the uh, fellowship at? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm trying to stay on sort of the smaller side. So I think the max size for me is going to be around like 500, 600 under management um, just because I like the culture a little bit better. And I'm definitely staying in the hard tech space too. So not really targeting anyone specific yet, um, but trying to stay in the space where my degree actually has some sort of value. So you, you obviously you're studying geophysics and of course English. Uh, do you feel like, I mean, you obviously didn't have to go to get a geophysics degree to go into to kind of VC, but are you going to get a chance in this process to go into kind of use your geophysics knowledge or is it uh, just giving you that nice back physics background to understand the IT world or the IOT world? Yeah, I get to use it a lot, um, less so in the oil and gas space. But in the mining sector, especially, you'll see a lot of people like I've taken machine learning and geophysics classes and you'll see people providing these solutions. And I can actually go through like some of the backside of their code or just how they're approaching problems and say, this is like not actually worth investing in whatsoever. Like I could build this in my basement in two hours or uh, some stuff where you're like, oh, man, this is really cool. And having that knowledge of like the tech and sort of like knowing how to run a seismic survey or something like that. And when you interface with these companies, doing the same thing is really helpful. I saw one of your internships with uh, JPL, uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, for those not in the know. Nice, nice. Uh, so modeling what icy ocean world, some distant moon, uh, trying to figure out how the geophysics will work on that. Is that the idea there? Um, I'm actually, it's more geochemistry than geophysics. But yeah, so I'm looking specifically at Titan in Europa. Uh, using something called the deep earth water model to figure out how reactions proceed under high pressure and temperature and what might be likely components of those oceans. And that's really important when you look at like sort of what things are necessary to have life on foreign worlds and how that life might arise. And so if there isn't say like carbonate, you, you might be looking at a different type of life or maybe not life at all. 
Okay. He's way past <laughs> us. That's, that's, that's Tim, what I, I know right there. Tim, I told you, listen, Andrew, like, and everyone listening, got to be honest. When I said, Tim, we got to have this dude on. He's brilliant. He's 21 years old. And truth be told, someday you and I are going to be asking him for a job. And you're like, I don't know. You know, I'm getting up there in age. Maybe not. But now you know. Now you know. You might be asking today. <laughs> I, I, I thought I only had a 10-year window that no way I'll be asking for a job. I've got 10 more years. But heck, he might, he's going to be there pretty quick. In <laughs> wow, all seriousness, awesome. Andrew, I, I want to brag on you a little bit. It is rare. It, Jeremy and I are moderately active on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, and neither of us are very active at all on Facebook and some of the other places. But it's rare to see a college student be active on LinkedIn and actively trying to build a network looking for the future. I mean, you're going to oil and gas happy hours in Denver, Colorado at 19 years old, trying to build your network. How, I mean, obviously it's a conscious decision to go out and build your network at this young age and what an amazing head start you've got. But what has that been like? What, what's the driving factor there? Is that just innate in you or is that something you just consciously say, Hey, I've got to go do this. Yeah, it kind of hit me when I started doing the venture capital work. And so they didn't give us a whole lot of guidance, which is to say they didn't give us any guidance at all. They just said, (laughs) find some deals and uh, figure out what to invest in. And so what I started doing is I jumped on these calls with the founders of sort of startups I liked that were a little bit established in the space, got their recommendations. And they said, you know, here are these guys you need to talk to to learn more about how to invest in oil and gas or mining. Like, here are the key trends I've seen from a founder perspective. And after that, I mean, it just kind of stuck with me that, like, the more I'm able to network, the more people you know, like, the better it's going to be in life just as a general, whether that's in the oil and gas space, in the mining space, or beyond. Man, I didn't even know what the difference was. Oil and gas to me at at that age was, you know, I filled my tank somewhere and there were oil wells, I guess, somewhere in Texas or Oklahoma, maybe, maybe in Saudi Arabia too. Cause there was a war about that, Tim. I know that. Yeah, there was, but there was nothing in New Hampshire or Massachusetts either, right? Three dry holes ever drilled in New Hampshire. I don't think they've seen a single drop of oil produced in that state. So yeah, man, this is, this has been a ton of fun for me. It actually brings me back to a story about college. Tim, have I told my Donald Trump story on this podcast yet? (laughs) You have not told your Donald Trump story. No, no, I don't think so. Oh man, where to even start? So I was Andrew Chan's age, perhaps even a little bit younger. And I was hanging out with one of my best friends, Dan Locke, um, who spent some time in the patch himself, actually, when he lived in Austin. Um, And man, we were at a 4th of July party in the year 2000. In the year 2000, in the year... (laughs) That's dating me too. <laughs> yeah, it, it was 2000 and we're standing there and talking to his aunt and Dan's aunt, interestingly, her job was a psychic and she was a really good psychic, Auntie Judy. And she's standing there saying, oh, I met this guy. He's like the chief operating officer of Mark Jacobs. And he's always offering me these tickets to his fashion shows in New York City but I don't want to go. I'm this 60 year old woman. It's no big deal. And I said, you know, but maybe my, my uh, nephew would like to go. And I'm like, Oh yes, we would. We would (laughs) immediately. I'm a sales guy, right? I inserted myself in the situation right there. And long story short, we started going to the Mark Jacobs fashion shows. They would do two a year during fashion weeks, one in September, one in February and went to one in, I think it was 2000. 
And we're walk we're walking into this, I don't even remember, somewhere in Manhattan. And you basically sort of walk through and, and walked right up to our seats and didn't even really think too much about it. And Dan's sister goes, You realize you guys just walked right by Donald Trump? And we go, Really? Donald Trump? Okay. So at this point, Donald Trump was just like a New York mogul, right? He wasn't the, the president. We didn't just a guy. Just, just, a, dude, just yeah. another rich guy there, right? So we're like, okay, great. Let's, let's walk down. So we walk down, and my friend Dan, this is part one. I'm going to tell the second one in a different time. And, you know, they're approachable. They're right in front of you. There's no security there or anything. And Dan goes up to him, and he says, Mr. Trump, it's been brought to my attention. I mean, remember, we're 20. So oh, yeah. it's, it's been brought to my attention that you are a, a very wealthy man. And he goes, that's right. And Dan goes, I just wanted to let you know, one day I will be far wealthier than you. Trump looks at him. He goes, good luck, kid. <laughs> Part two will come in a different episode because that, that's when I got to bust Donald Trump's balls. But in that situation, it was, it was kind of funny. I thought he handled it relatively well. Um, and I know oftentimes we see a different side of him, but at the same time, it's just a dude, just a person. That's crazy. I mean, oh, yeah. and you, it's difficult to remember that, hey, these guys are sitting there watching the show too, right? You know, and they're, he's That's probably, they do. Yeah. he probably tells a story about how some dumbasses came and started talking to him at the show. All right, fine. I'll tell the other story then. So then the next, the next time we go to the show, it's me and, and, you know, we've, we've now built the relationship with the COO, right? We've, we've cut out Auntie Judy. Now we know Robert. So Robert's like, hey, listen, if you need more tickets for your roommates or something, we're like, we will take as many tickets. <laughs> so I think we got six or seven tickets the next time. And we went down and, and Trump was standing there and, and we were like, oh, listen, we can we can give Donald Trump a hard time. Like, it's OK. This is something that we can do. So he likes he it. He, <laughs> he did not. So we walked by him this time and somebody said something like, hey, Trump. And he said something like, keep moving, keep moving. And I said, hey, Trumpy. Nice mullet. And he goes, what? I said, your hairstyle. It's kind of like a, a mullet, you know, like it was cool in the 80s. And we keep walking by. He grabs my friend, Mike P, by his arm and he goes, hey, your friend thinks he's funny. He's not. He's a fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so I am the 177,000th person that Donald Trump called an asshole. That that's pretty impressive, honestly. I'm not sure there's a better credential than that right I'm, now. Yeah, yeah, you you're on the you're on the list. That's that's it's pretty special. We saw him again at another fashion show not too long after, and I swear he remembered us. He's like these fucking kids again. Just stay away <laughs> from me. So Andrew, I know you're you're at, you're back in Colorado right now, kind of waiting to go ahead to head back to campus. What's the word? Would they think you're uh, heading back for the next quarter or quarter after next, or do you think you're graduating in Denver from Caltech. Seems pretty likely we'll be back a quarter after next, although I can't necessarily confirm or deny that given that um, our school is pretty secretive about these things. Uh, but I'm probably, I'm hoping to head back just um, next term, spend some time with some friends out there and uh, get out of my parents' basement a little bit is uh, the big plan. <laughs> you can always go hang out in Jeremy's basement. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I, people knocking on the door all the time right before the It's podcast. nice and cold down there, we hear. <laughs> It's icy. Just ask Susan Clatt. She's been here. Um, but no, if you, um, you know, you, I thought, Andrew, I thought you were good around my kids too. <laughs> Most kids <laughs> your age aren't, but it's like, daddy's out here and he's working. He's talking to this guy. And why are you talking to this young guy? Usually your friends are so much older than him. I'm like, 
I know, but this guy's got an old soul. What do you want me to say? Just get out of here, kids. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, not to brag, but I uh, was a instructor for the Denver Zoo's summer safari program for four years. Nice. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> got that experience there. You know, I frequently get jealous of guys my age and all the things that they've done that I'm like, man, I, I have not done anything. And now I'm listening, I'm reading his LinkedIn profile and seeing his internships. I'm now jealous of a 21 year old for all of the experiences he already has. I am too. <laughs> you guys are too much. No, I mean, so, you know, we take, you can still go to the zoo now, right? It's by reservation and yeah, only yeah. small, only very small groups. My two-year-old thinks it's the coolest thing ever. I mean, I guess the elephants were like picking up poop and like throwing at the other elephants. And this happened when he went like a month ago and he still talks about it a lot, right? I actually use it as a calming mechanism for him because when I'm trying to get him dressed in the morning, he's flailing his legs and I go, Hey man, what about the elephants? What about the elephants? And he's like, they throw poop. <laughs> and that that actually calms them down it works man he goes completely limp and they throw poop <laughs> andrew this was a blast man Thanks, uh, thank you so much for for coming on and uh I, seriously i look up to you as a as a man who's half my age i think you've done some really awesome things you're poised for even bigger things and i'll give it to tim for some final commentary yeah i'm really looking forward to see how your career develops and and you know I know you're going to make it just because of, of this interview and, and, and following you around a little bit. So I think it's going to be fantastic. Absolutely blast to have you on here and uh, let's go find another college student to bring on. Yeah. I mean, thank you guys for having me. <laughs> this has been an absolute blast as well. And I love hanging out with uh, Jeremy on the weekends and Tim looking forward to meeting you in person sometime too. Thank you, Andrew. I think, you know, and for anybody listening, it doesn't sound like Andrew has a job lined up yet. So if you want to be the lucky one to hire this dude, I think I'm submitting your resume to W. But I I'm going to say, if, we have, if I have a spot, I'm bringing him in. I don't care what for. Jeez. <laughs> Good oh, stuff, man. Andrew. Appreciate you, brother.